So the first, the, the head, the first sheet on, that you've got there is what we basically talked about last week. And that is, in 1942, Pearl Harbor was born in, uh, bombed in 1941, December the 7th. And then about six months later, in 1942, there was a battle called Midway. And what we talked about last week is that the, the Japanese military suffered such great military defeat with the sinking of four carriers, uh, over 100 pilots killed, and so much of their navy was destroyed that they, were never, they could never rebuild and recover from that loss. And so the rest of the time from 1942 to 1945 was just the United States and its allies, mostly the United States, just basically enforcing the victory as they went from island to island to island fighting against an enemy that could never win. There was no way, if the United States didn't quit, there was no way for the Japanese to recover from the loss that they had at Midway. I was thinking about it today, and, and uh, one of the reasons that Gettysburg, I don't know if you if you're much of a Civil War person, I'm, I'm not a whole lot of a Civil War person, but this is what I do know, that after the South lost Gettysburg, they could never recover. Gettysburg was the absolute turning point of the war. Up until that time, Lee had won every battle he had faced. But when he got to Gettysburg, several reasons for it, but the bottom line is they lost between July the 2nd and the 4th, I think it was, they lost so many men had such destruction that they were not able to recover from that. And the rest of the, the, rest of the war, the rest of the amount of the war, year, next year and a half, was simply the North using their vast resources to simply push the South back into a position of loss. There was, there was no way that the South could recover from the phenomenal losses that they took at Gettysburg. You know, at Gettysburg, 90,000 men died. On both sides, 90,000. That's, that's unbelievable, isn't it? 90,000. So it's a, it was just a phenomenal loss, a phenomenal loss of, of, of morale, a phenomenal loss of spirit, a phenomenal loss of equipment, uh, cannons and the like, and the, the South could just never recover from that. And so the, the Gettysburg was the turning point of the Civil War. Midway was the turning point of World War II. And what we talked about last week is that when Jesus came to earth, there was two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of God that's all-encompassing, and then there was the kingdom of the devil that was involved the kingdoms of the earth, the kingdom of men, the kingdom of animals, and the kingdom of the plants. So those things had been inhabited by the devil, given to him by Adam. But when Jesus came, and when he died on the cross, as, he was, as his spirit was leaving him, he said, It is finished. And that's exactly what he meant. All of the devil's rule and reign over all the earth was finished when Jesus died on Calvary. It was done. It was, such a, it was such a defeat to the kingdom of the devil that he could never recover from it. And when Jesus resurrected on the third day and went back to heaven and presented his blood in the holiest of holies, then man became the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus and now suddenly we have a third kingdom, a, th a second race of people, a third kingdom introduced in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is what Matthew calls it. And it, it's made up of people who are now following God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Adam, created by God in the beginning, is called the first Adam. 
But Jesus, after he resurrects and becomes the first fruit of many brethren, Paul calls him the second Adam. Why does he call him the second Adam? Because he's the beginning of a new race. Hallelujah. A race of people who are not of this earth. And so the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says, suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. They forcefully advance it. So I want to I begin tonight. We're going we're gonna to go over the second page of this. I uh, was able to, to flesh this out a little bit better this afternoon. Last week I just ran into a block, but this week was a little bit easier. Let's start at Acts 10, verse 38. Because this, in my mind, kind of gives the overview of the kingdom of heaven. Acts 10, 38. You want to know what the kingdom of heaven's about? The kingdom of, of heaven on the earth? Now, this, in my mind, kind of seals it. Peter's preaching here to Cornelius, and he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I don't know if that is the same with you as it is with me, but with me, this is everything in one verse. This is Jesus being filled with the Holy Ghost, and with that Holy Ghost, he, he obtained power. He went about doing good, destroying the kingdom of the devil. How did he go about doing it? Healing all that was oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. What does that mean? God was with him. That means he didn't pick his own stuff. He said in one place that he doesn't have any place to lay his head. Does that mean Jesus was poor? No, he wasn't poor. He had a, he had a ministry. He had disciples. He, had, he took care of his mom. He had a house in Capernaum. But it means that he didn't have any place to lay his head. He didn't decide from day to day where he was going. John chapter 4 says one morning he went to prayer, and after that he must needs go to Samaria. Why? Because the Lord led him there. He, God was with him. God was leading him. God was guiding him. God was directing him. God was doing everything. Anything Jesus did, he did at the will of the Father. He said himself, I do nothing except the Father tells me to do it. I do nothing unless the Lord, unless the Father tells me to do it. And so in my mind, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is us. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And with that Holy Spirit, we should have the power of God, the power to overcome the flesh, the power to overcome evil, the power to set men free, the power to re preach the gospel, the, the power to live, to be a Christian, the, the power, the authority. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people that can quote a lot of this book. But the question's not how much of this book do you know. The question is, is there enough power of God within you to see it work? <laughs> this book says I can overcome all the works of the devil. But can you do it? Is that power of God working within you have you submitted yourself? Have, have we, let's not just use you, let's put me in the mix too. Have we submitted ourselves to the point, have we become members of the kingdom of heaven to the point that we're willing to, to go where God tells us to go, to, you, to, to, to do those things? I, I just about chased a rabbit, that's why I stuttered. I'm not going to chase it. <laughs> so we're looking at the kingdom of heaven 
and the kingdom of heaven is being filled with the power, with the Holy Ghost and with power, going about doing good, healing all that were oppressed with the devil, for God was with us. So, I just uh, I wrote down some things tonight, and you may can think of some more. Like I told you when we started this, there's, there's, there's no place that I have found among all my commentaries that says this makes up the kingdom of heaven. So this is my thoughts. You may have other thoughts. You're welcome to them. Um, but here's my thoughts. Number one, the people of the kingdom of heaven, real, it, you become a member of the kingdom of heaven by the dying of the race of Adam and the rebirth of the race of Christ. It's built upon Christ, the firstborn of a new race. And we talked about this last week. The second one is the kingdom of heaven, the people in the kingdom of heaven have the earnest of the spirit living in them. What does that mean? Have the earnest of the spirit living in them. So what is earnest money? Yeah, kind of a down payment, but, huh? Yeah, deposit. That, 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 that's, that says what? That says I'm coming back to, to buy it. I'm going to come back and buy the land. I'm going to come back and buy the car. And here's $500 to show you that I'm serious about what I'm doing, right? Well, the Holy Spirit, when you get saved, God puts some earnest money in there. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. 2 Corinthians 1. Did I say 2? Yeah, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. That's the one with two little marks in front of it. Or some, if you have a fancy Bible, it's got a two. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses 21 and 22. It says, Now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God and hath sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. <laughs> Woo. When you got saved, something should have happened. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It also says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. If you came up here and simply repeated a prayer, then, then repeating a prayer doesn't save you. Can I say that again? Repeating a prayer does not save you. Confession, but, but believing in your heart, it's a heart thing. It's a change of natures. It's letting one man die that the other man might live. I heard a guy say one time in a sermon, you can't get people saved if they don't know they're lost. When you come to the front to be saved, you should know you're lost. You should know you're in need of a Savior. You should know that, that the, the, the way that you are is not, is not pleasing to God. And if Jesus was to come now, you wouldn't go to heaven. You need to know that. And when you come down here and confess your sins, it's a change of life. The old man dies, the new man comes alive. And when that new man comes alive, the blood of Jesus Christ washes away my sin. And that's a good thing. Thank you for those three amens. That's a good thing, but an even better thing is that the Holy Spirit comes in there and he seals the deal. It's the earnest of the Holy Spirit that I feel inside of me so that when I go out the next day and I get mad and I let some things fly out of my mouth that's not supposed to be there, all of a sudden I don't feel so good. I feel a convicting power of the Holy Spirit that says, hey, 
I'm in here. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. You know, it's a change of life. And that change of life is not just because you got saved. It's because God sealed it. He gave you the earnest of the Holy Spirit to let you know that you're not following some cleverly devised fable, but you have moved from death unto life and you're no longer under the kingdom of darkness. Now you're under the kingdom of heaven. Glory to God. Let's look at the other one. Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians. You're pretty close there. First and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. About four books over. We're going to go to Ephesians 1.14. Once again, the writing of Paul to the church at Ephesus. 1.14. he says, In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you were believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until when? Till the redemption of the purchased possession, until the praise of his glory. When is, the, when is the purchased, I am the purchased possession, am I not? I, how was I purchased? By the blood of Jesus Christ and by his resurrection. He redeemed me, he bought me, I'm purchased. So when, do, when, do, when does God redeem the purchased possession? <laughs> Whenever I stand before him. By grace are you being saved. I am saved today. But I am being saved too. And one of these days, whenever the Lord comes and redeems it, then when I'm redeemed, when I'm standing in his presence, and what do I have to guarantee that I'm going to be redeemed with him? I've got the earnest of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. So whenever you're in the kingdom of heaven, you have the earnest of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. The next one says, because we're redeemed and because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can experience something called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now I know you're Pentecostal and I know you all know about this, but let's just indulge me a minute while we go through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Let's go to John chapter 7. While I'm going there, let me just tell you that the, in the, Jesus, never, Jesus never presented the baptism in the Holy Spirit as optional equipment. He said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. It's not, it's not option. Now, I realize it's not salvation. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, well, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not going to heaven because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away my sin. I know that. That's, that's a done deal. And, 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 and I'm, I'm good. But to, to be able to be an overcomer, in all areas of my life, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to give me that power, that anointing, that, that, that unction, that, that extra thing that I need in order to, to live an overcoming life. So John 7, 37, 38 says, oh, wrong page. There we go. 38 says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's what the Holy Spirit feels like. When he's flowing through you, that's what it feels like. Rivers of living water. <laughs> but this spake he of the Spirit, when they believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Whenever he was glorified, when his resurrection, when he was glorified, then the Holy Spirit came back to earth to a redeemed mankind. So, 
Let's go to, we look at John 16. John 16, 7 through 8. Jesus says, to, tells the disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit has purposes as he comes back and lives within our life, convicting us of sin, helping us to live righteous, of judgment, and it's important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts 2, 1. Acts chapter 2. Are y'all good with this? Everybody, anybody have any questions about this? <coughs> Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not salvation. It is a second work after salvation. Salvation is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all... Anything else required, as far as I'm concerned, is bordering on blasphemy. If you're going to tell me the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't good enough for you, then I'm, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, okay, move on. Move on, Scott. Acts 2, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mercy mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, how do you know they were filled with the Holy Ghost? They spake in other tongues. They spake in other tongues. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm not, when, when you come down here to get full of the Holy, when you come down here to receive the Holy Spirit, I'm not trying to get you to speak in tongues. I'm trying to get you full of the Holy Spirit. You yield. Do you know what I mean? You have to yield. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to come in. You have to allow the Holy Spirit. And once you allow the Holy Spirit, then you will speak with tongues. That's just the, if you get baptized in water, you come up wet. That's the initial physical evidence. If, there, if you're not wet, you didn't get baptized. It's that simple. I can see that. I know it. But I can't see you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So God made a way where we can know. And that is you're going to speak in tongues. That's how you know. That's how I know. And if you're get, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. But you have to yield to that. You've got you've to let that happen. Okay. Let's go uh, Acts 4.31. So the kingdom of heaven is what we're talking about. And the kingdom of heaven is not made up of people who only speak in tongues one time when they got filled. Because the Bible tells us that the people that are in the kingdom of heaven will be continually refilled. Acts 4, verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They were filled again in Acts 4. Let's, let's go one more place. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Yep, you were in second. Back up one. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's see what Paul says here. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 18. 
Paul says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues. How often? More than ye all. Why, why is that important? Why is it important that not only are you filled with the Holy Spirit, but if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you're continually refilled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now most of you, if, you, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, then most of the time you're speaking in tongues is going to be in prayer time or in worship. That this isn't, what we're talking about here is not a message in tongues where somebody speaks under the anointing of the Holy Spirit where the congregation gets quiet and someone speaks. That is, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit that requires an interpretation. But whenever you're, whenever you're praying and you speak in tongues, whenever you're worshiping and you speak in tongues, whenever you're, whenever you're initially filled and you speak in tongues, that does, that's not something to be interpreted. It is your spirit praying unto God. And you're building yourself up on your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. And I think, that, I think I've got that scripture coming up here. But it's, it's, it's something that you, that's not a one-time thing. You don't just come down here and have an experience and, and you're done. It's a continual filling and refilling. You don't, you, you may, Kathy may cook me a really good meal. And it may be the finest meal I've ever eaten that she's ever made me. But you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to come in there and say, what's for breakfast? Because I was filled last night. But guess what? I got to be refilled again. It takes a lot of calories to keep this belly going. And I have to be continually filled and refilled. And I can't go on one meal and say, okay, that's it. I don't have to eat anymore the rest of my life. It don't work like that. Matter of fact, if you don't, if you don't feed something, if you don't feed your dog, what's going to happen to your dog? It's going to die. If you don't water your plants, guess what's going to happen to your plants? They're going to die. And if you don't feed that spirit man through prayer and, 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 and allowing the Holy Spirit to strengthen that man, eventually that spirit man will get to where he just barely, he's hanging on by life support. And he needs to be strengthened. And, and the way you strengthen him is you let, allowing the Holy Spirit to come into your, your spirit and it demonstrates itself by speaking in other tongues. You're in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm, I'm out of order here, so we may skip this one. But look at 1 Corinthians 14. You're there. Look at the first verse. verse. Wherefore, follow after charity and desire what? Spiritual gifts. But rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue. Now this is in your prayer time. This is in your worship time. This is not something that's going to be interpreted, okay? So he who speaks in an unknown tongues in those situations speaks not unto man, but unto who? God. When you're in your prayer time and you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to fill your spirit and you begin to speak in an unknown tongue, you're not, you're not speaking for your edification to, to get more you're, you're speaking unto God. And it does edify you. It does build you up. But it's, 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 you're speaking unto God. Um, Howbeit in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So, baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a one-time deal where you come down here and allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and speak in tongues. And then you go back to your seat and you say, that's right, I got it. I'm, I'm done. You're not done. You've just begun. <laughs> You've just begun. And to be, to be continually filled. Because what is the Holy Spirit? It convinces us of what? Of sin. Some of us, 
You've got multiple layers of sin in there. You just don't know it yet. Because when God takes care of that cussing and you get rid of that, you say, praise God, I don't cuss anymore. Glory to God. Then you find out that the reason you cuss because you had an anger issue. Now we have to work on that. And then when you get through with that anger issue, you find out the reason you had anger was because you had unforgiveness in your heart. Now the Holy Spirit works on that. And you find out you had unforgiveness of your heart because you were mad at your mama for something she did 100 years ago. And now you've got to pray through and get, get So the Holy Spirit's there to convince us of sin. Not, I'm not talking about going out and committing gross sin. I'm just saying things that's, that's in your heart that, we, that we've got to peel back like an onion till we get to the base of it. It's, it's there, and the Holy Spirit's there to help you peel those layers back. He's there to convict us of righteousness, convince us of how to live better. Right? Sometimes, like Brother Lynn was talking about, to live in better is just to keep your mouth shut and don't get upset because something went, didn't go your way. And the Holy Spirit, you know, you can go, and I have done this, you can go someplace and kind of get upset and talk a little bit and the Holy Spirit's all the time saying stop be quiet that's not righteous there's not right there's not love joy peace long suffering coming out of your mouth that's that's venom and that's of the kingdom of darkness and that's not you anymore because you're of the kingdom of light so what's he doing he's convicting me of righteousness he's convicting me of sin he's working with me in judgment he's helping he's helping me to judge things so the Holy Spirit's not just a one-time deal he is he is the paraclete. He is alongside me 24-7, living and working inside of me and, and, and speaking in communion in God, communion with God. He is, he is my conscience. When I'm in the kingdom of heaven, he's now my conscience, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why is that? Because it might be wrong for you, for me, but it might not be wrong for Bo. It might be okay if Bo goes, but it might not be okay if I go. Why? Because I can't control it. I get out there at that football game, and next thing you know, I'm stomping on the stands and throwing cups, and I'm all angry about it. I done, I done got fired up. And the Lord basically, you know, this, this happened. This is a true story. When my, and you've heard it a hundred times, but it, it fits real good right here. And some of you, I, I recognize some faces here tonight that probably hadn't heard it. When my son was playing Little League, he always was picked to be shortstop because he could always catch a ground ball. When he was two years old, his, 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 Kathy's mom used to stand him up against the wall and bounce a tennis ball to him. He could always catch, always could catch. So when he got to play in Little League, he was always shortstop. And, and I was so proud of that boy. I was so proud of him. But I tell you what, at eight and nine years old, every now and then he'd make an error. And oh my goodness, that'd make me upset. I thought, man, you could be better than, you're better than that! You're better than that. Come on, Kenny, get out on the ball. And boy, it wasn't too long. I felt an uh, elbow in my rib. She'd say, you got to settle down. This is, this, they're eight years old. <laughs> Why are you hollering like this? Oh, he, he's, he's better ball player than that. And one day I got a little beside myself and I heard a voice in my ear that said, if you can't settle down, you need to go sit in the truck. And I watched one inning from the truck. <laughs> Maybe it would be better if I learned to control some things before I went to that game. And the Holy Spirit helps you to understand that, to work out that salvation, to work out some things that need to be worked out. And see, that, that's, that's, that's what the purpose, that's why the Holy Spirit has to live in you. 
has to work in you, building you up, keeping you right, work, opening up the scripture, revealing the scripture. I'm going to tell you, 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 can, you can make this book a coloring book if you want to. You can make all the stories in it. You can, make this a, you can say, well, I just can't understand this, and I can't understand the NIV, and I can't understand the ESV, and I can't understand the NLT, and I can't understand the military Bible, and I can't understand the children's Bible, and I can't understand the girls' Bible, and I can't understand the EIEIO version, the cowboy version. I can't understand that one either. I'm just going to go get me a coloring book, and you can go get you one, and you're not going to understand that either. Because this book is spiritually discerned. This isn't, this isn't a cleverly devised fables. This isn't a, a, a hallmark story. This is a spiritual book that's going to be spiritually discerned. And if you don't have a spiritual mind, you're not going to understand what he's talking about. You're going to come up with all kind of weird stuff. You'll have, you'll have dragons flying in the air and dungeons and all kind of weird. You, there, there's, there's a book called the Bible Code where he tries to convince you that this Bible predicts the future by, 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 it's a code. It's a book written in code. You just got to figure out the code. And I'll be able to know who the next president is if I could just figure out the code in this book. You think I'm joking? I'm not joking. The Bible code. You can don't get it. Don't get it. Don't read it. It's it's foolishness. So I'm just telling you. If you can spiritually, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you and working in you, you'll be able to understand some things in this book. And anyone that's in the kingdom of heaven should be able to understand the book that tells them how to get to heaven. Okay. Am I on a soapbox? I feel like I'm on a soapbox. Anyone who's in the kingdom of heaven should pray with authority when they pray in the spirit. We've already read 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 2. Let's look at, let's look, uh, let's go back one book to Romans. That's just one book back. And let's go to Romans 8. We're talking about people who are in the kingdom of heaven. This new race of people that's not of the lineage of Adam anymore, but of the lineage of Christ because they've been reborn. So, Let's look here in Romans 8, 25 through 27. Romans 8 says this, But if we hope for that which we see not, then we do, it with, then we do with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth thy infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us, which groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes session intercession for the saints according to what? The will of God. If his words abide in me and my words abide in him, what does that mean? If his words abide in me and my words abide in him, what does that mean? It means if the will of God, if I know the will of God and I'm praying the will of God, you know, if it's, if it's not the will of God for getting me to get a Mercedes and I'm out there proclaiming a Mercedes, then I'm wasting my stupid time. But if I know his will, if his words abide in me, and I'm praying his will, my words abide in him, if me and God saying the same thing, then what does it say? You can ask what you will, and it shall be done. The Holy Spirit. My God, hallelujah. Woo. <laughs> Woo. If the Holy Spirit's interceding with me, if he's praying with me, and he knows the will of God, and I and, and the Holy and, and God knows the will of God, and I'm praying the will of God because I've got God in me, then whatever I'm praying is going to come to pass, and there's nothing that can stop it. 
Why? Because the devil's a defeated foe. He was defeated at Calvary. And the only way I can, it can be stopped is if I quit. If I quit believing, if I quit confessing, if I quit proclaiming, if I quit, if I quit then the devil can, can move a little forward a little bit. But if I don't quit, he's got no more chance to overcome what God has proclaimed than the Japanese did to overcome the American military. Got no better chance. Because Jesus won the battle at Calvary. It's finished. And now I'm in this new kingdom. Let's go on. Jude 20, this is a great verse. If you, mem if you, if you ever wanted to memorize the scripture, you ought to memorize this one. I'm sure everybody in this place can memorize it. And if you can't, we'll teach it to Porter and she'll show you that she can memorize it. <laughs> Reed probably already knows it. Jude 20 says what? But ye, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, how? Praying in the Holy Ghost. My goodness, why would you not want to be, tell me why would you not want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why would you not want that power of God living in your innermost being? Why, 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 would, you, why would you possibly be happy with just the earnest with just the earnest money, when you could be in possession of the property. Why? why? There's so many advantages to being filled with the Holy Spirit. As we go on here in the kingdom of heaven, praying with, with authority, praying with power, praying with authority in the Holy Ghost. This is advantages of being in the kingdom of heaven. The next one says, if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you have the possibility of growing in the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at Galatians 5, 22 through 25, and let's see what the fruit of the Spirit are. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Galatians, right after 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and there's a Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Galatians, fifth book written by Paul, wrote to the, church at, uh, the churches in the, the province of Galatia. So the book to the Galatians, let's look at 5, 22 through 25. If, you have, if you're in the kingdom of heaven, if you're in the kingdom of heaven, then you should be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. If God lives in you and you're in that kingdom, then you should be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Number one, Love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, have not love, I am a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. He goes on in the second verse to say, if I, if I don't have love, then he says, I'm nothing. And the third verse at the end of it, he says, if I don't have love, then nothing I do profits me anything. Love is number one. There's only one scripture in the Bible that I know of that tells whether or not you're saved. There's only one. If you want to know if you're saved or not, there's one scripture in the Bible that tells. By this, it's in the book of John. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. If you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you possibly love God whom you have not seen? 
So the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And if you're saved and following Jesus, you're going to have love one for another. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Settle down. The next one is peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, then peace. Oh, joy, there you go. I was just seeing if you was reading along with me. Love, joy, and this isn't, this isn't an emotion. It's a way of life. I'll have joy if the Longhorns beat Washington. I'll have joy if Washington beats the Longhorns. It's not, it's not an emotion. It's a happiness, just a happiness of life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Hallelujah. Some of us aren't long-suffering enough to even spell long-suffering. <laughs> it's, got too, it's got too many letters in it. Shouldn't have to take that long to spell it. Long-suffering, patient, enduring patience, gentleness, goodness. That's what some of us say. Oh, goodness. Goodness, meekness. Now, meekness doesn't mean that you're a doormat and everybody walks over you. That's not meekness. If you study New Testament meekness, you'll find out that New Testament meekness has more to do with discipline under a situation than it has to do with whether or not you, or if I say Father McCahey, I don't know if y'all know who that was in MASH. Anyway, meekness doesn't mean that you're mild temper and everybody just runs over you. Meekness means that you're disciplined. You're, a, you're a, a person that's under authority and you're disciplined in that authority. Meekness means, in New Testament times, means able to be, to be uh, disciplined, to able to, to, be, to be obedient. Moses was a meek man. He wasn't meek because he was constantly being run over. If you find out, Moses stood up for himself. But he was meek because he was under authority and he did what God told him to do. Even, even to the point of calling open the earth to swallow up some of the Israelites that were opposing him. And the, the Bible doesn't say it, but in I've got a set of Jewish commentaries in there, and it says that Moses did that with tears in his eyes, not wanting to do it. Why did he do it? Because he was meek and God told him that's what he's supposed to do, and he did it. Meekness, being, being able to be under authority, be able to be disciplined, temperance. Against such there is no law. We can produce these fruits. If we're under the kingdom of heaven and the Holy Spirit's working within us, then the people that are under the kingdom of heaven, you're going to produce fruits. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. Um, we'll finish these last ones next week. Some more, th um, some more traits of those who are in the kingdom of heaven. Some more power and authority that those have who are in the kingdom of heaven. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll start with the gifts of the Spirit. And then we'll talk about working the works of Christ, winning every battle, kingdom of God on earth. These are, these are things that we as the kingdom of heaven possess. The kingdom of heaven is not known by walls. This church is not the kingdom of heaven because it's a church. It's the kingdom of heaven for one reason and one reason alone, and that is the kingdom of God lives in you. 
if the kingdom of God lives in me, then I am God's emissary. I am God's authority, if you want to say, on this earth. I represent God, his ambassador. That's what I was looking for. I am God's ambassador on this earth because Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven comes not with observation. The kingdom of God comes not with observation, but it lives within us. And if it's living within us, then we are the kingdom of heaven. What, one, one quick thing. When Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then the next thing he said was this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven, that's what the kingdom of heaven does, is it allows God's will to be, it's what God would do if he was here. It's what Jesus did when he was here. Heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, heal the, minister to the poor and the orphans, to the, to the elder, to the widows and the orphans. It's what Jesus would do if he was here. That is the kingdom of heaven the king, and the kingdom of God. I'm getting confused, aren't I? Kingdom of God and that kingdom of God lives within me and therefore I am God's representative on the earth and Matthew calls that the kingdom of heaven. So this church is not the kingdom of heaven, but the people that are in this church make this room the kingdom of heaven. And if you're at the dollar store, then the kingdom of God has come to the dollar store. Or if you're at your workplace, then the kingdom of God is there in the workplace. God's authority and God's ambassador is sitting in that desk in the form of you. And so you have the, the ability and power and should reflect the traits that you heard about tonight. Amen? All right. Stand with me if you would. Did anybody have a question or comment? I'm always, yes, ma'am? <laughs> Amen. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to be in your house tonight, Father. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that our Bible study tonight has been profitable, God. I pray, Lord God, that we have heard your word, O God. I pray, Father God, that it's taken root within our soul, O God. And I pray, Almighty God, that we would work, Lord God, to bring the kingdom of heaven to wherever that we're at, O God, the kingdom of God into this world, O God. And, Father, I thank you, O God, for the opportunity, Lord God, to teach, Father. Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in each one of our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. If you haven't signed up for the Christmas party, you need to do that tonight. We've got a...